Shalom, everyone. This is Luke Tanner from Zion Hebraic Congregation. This week's Shabbat message is by me from Leviticus chapters 9 and 10, the Torah portion entitled Shemini. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Free feel to check out our uh, website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There you'll find archived Shabbat messages, blog posts by my dad, as well as links to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you put your email in the subscribe bar there, you will get um, blog posts automatically sent to you each week. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. So yeah, Leviticus chapter 9, this week's Torah portion, and um, and the name is Shemini, something like that, the Hebrew word for eight, because it's on the eighth day that uh, that it starts out with. That's how the Torah portions work, and how, um, like, you probably all know, but... Prior to codification of the 66 books, all the books of the Bible were in scrolls, and they didn't have chapters and, and verses. And so if you wanted to say where something was, you would say, in portion Shemini. Uh, uh, and, and people would know what that was. And actually, if you, it's, if you ever get a chance to look at a scroll or pictures of a scroll, and even the way that it's broken down with um, spaces and stuff is, is kind of interesting. So little side note there. So, yeah, so this, we're going to read, we're just going to read chapters 9 and 10. Uh, You can read chapter 11 at home, which talks about what you can eat and what you can't eat as people of God, which, yes, we still endorse and believe is applicable. So, um, but 9 and 10 is very well-known passage um, and uh, famously for the death of Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's two older sons, when they bring strange fire before God, and fire breaks out and burns them up. And uh, it's very uh, theatrical, shall we say, and dramatic. Um, but, but what I hope to kind of look into today, this isn't anything earth-shattering, but is, is take a little bit of a bird's-eye view and pull back and look at this these two sections in context of of all of the history of Israel and what they've gone through to this point in the tabernacle and their relationship to God and why and really how the, the what I think what happens with Nadab and Abihu is really just a is the flowering of a much bigger illustrative point that's that's that this all leads up to and what the building of the tabernacle is and <clears throat> our relationship as people unto God, our Creator, and I think it's a really uh, powerful point. So hopefully that'll all get con- conveyed. We'll see what happens. So. All right. So chapter nine. So we'll read nine and ten, and then we'll kind of we'll kind of get into it here. So, so chapter nine of Leviticus. And it came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, 
and said unto Aaron, Take thee a young calf for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering, without blemish, and offer them before Jehovah. And unto the children of Israel thou shalt speak, saying, Take ye a kid of the goats for a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year, without blemish, for a burnt offering. Also a bullock and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before Jehovah, and a meat offering mingled with oil. For today Jehovah will appear unto you. And they brought that which Moses commanded before the tabernacle of the congregation, and all the congregation drew near and stood before Jehovah. And Moses said, This is the thing which Jehovah commanded that you should do, and the glory of Jehovah shall appear unto you. And Moses and Aaron go unto the altar, offer thy sin offering, and thy burnt offering, and make an atonement for thyself and for the people, and offer the offering of the people, and make an atonement for them, as Jehovah commanded. And Aaron therefore went into the altar, and slew the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron brought the blood unto him, and dipped his finger in the blood, and put it upon the horns of the altar, and poured out the blood at the bottom of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys and the call above the liver of the sin offering he burnt upon the altar, as Jehovah commanded Moses. And the flesh and the hide he burnt with fire without the camp. And he slew the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons presented unto him the blood, which he sprinkled round about the altar. And they presented the burnt offering unto him with the pieces thereof, and the head, and he burnt them upon the altar. And he did wash the inwards and the legs, and burnt them upon uh, the burnt offering and burnt them upon the burnt offering on the altar. And he brought the people's offering, and took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, and slew it, and offered it for sin as the first. And he brought the burnt offering, and offered it according to the manner. And he brought the meat offering, and took a handful of thereof, and burnt it upon the altar beside the burnt sacrifice of the morning. And he slew also the bullock and the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings, which was for the people. And Aaron's sons presented unto him the blood which he sprinkled upon the altar round about. And the fat of the bullock, and of the ram, and the rump, and that which covered the inwards, and the kidney, and the call above the liver. And they put the fat upon the breast, and he burnt the fat upon the altar. And the breast of the right shoulder, Aaron waved for a wave offering before Jehovah, as Moses commanded. And Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people, and blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, and the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed all the people. And the glory of Jehovah appeared unto all the people. And there came a fire out from before Jehovah and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. And Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered a strange fire before Jehovah, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from Jehovah, and devoured them, and they died before Jehovah. And Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that he, Jehovah, spoke, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh to me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses has commanded, uh, uh, had said. And Moses said unto Aaron, and unto Eleazar, and unto Ithamar his sons, Uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die, and lest wrath come upon all this people, all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which Jehovah hath kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die, though the anointing oil of Jehovah is upon you. 
And they did according to the word of Moses. Yehovah said, spake unto Aaron, saying, uh, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. And it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean, and that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which Yehovah has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. And Moses spoke unto Aaron, and unto Eleazar, and unto Ithamar, his sons that were left. Take the meat offering that remaineth of the offerings of Yehovah made by fire, and eat it without leaven besides the altar, for it's most holy. And you shall eat it in the holy place, because it is thy due, and thy sons due, of the sacrifices of Yehovah made by fire, for so I commanded. And wave the breast, and the heave the shoulder, uh, and the wave breast and heave shoulder shall ye eat in a clean place, thou and thy sons and thy daughters with thee. For they be thy due, and thy sons due, which are given out of the sacrifices of peace offerings of the children of Israel. The heave shoulder and the wave breast shall they bring with the offerings made by fire of the fat, to wave it for a wave offering before Yehovah. For it shall be thine and thy sons with thee by statute forever, as Yehovah hath commanded. And Moses diligently sought the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burnt. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, which were left alive, saying, Wherefore have you not eaten the sin offering in the holy place, seeing it is most holy? And God hath given it to you, given it you to bear the iniquity of the congregation, and to make atonement for them before Jehovah. Behold, the blood was not brought in within the holy place. Then you should indeed have eaten it in the holy place as I commanded. And Aaron said unto Moses, Behold, this day they have offered their sin offerings and their burnt offerings before Yehovah, and such things have befallen me. And if I had eaten the sin offering today, should it have been accepted in the sight of Yehovah? And when Moses heard that, he was content. So, there we go. That's an intense couple chapters. And I think it's good. And, and I guess what struck me as I was reading this is if we kind of step back a little bit, we have... Um, Basically, the tabernacle is finally being finished, and it's being consecrated. And so, you have this culmination of this story, I don't know what you want to call it, this, the people of Israel, God's people, which he, you know, he began with Moses, well, he began really with Adam and Eve, but, or he began with Abraham, really Adam and Eve, but he calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans, he brings him to the land, he goes down in Egypt, he comes back, he has kids, they have kids, they have kids, they go into Egypt, they're slaves, he brings them out, and all these things that have been prophesied and promised, and now they're in the desert, and God's going to dwell in the midst of his people. God, God Almighty, who created everything. And um, that is a heavy and powerful, awe-inspiring and fearful thing. And I think, at least I know for me, that um, the, the, the weight of that can sometimes get lost. And I think it gets lost here with... Uh, uh, Nadab and Abihu. And so you have this culmination of everything and the tabernacle fine being put together and consecrated. And now you're going to have the, uh, the cleansing of the people of Aaron and his sons and then the people with these different offerings so that then God can dwell in the midst of a clean people and they can come into his presence and they can have communion with them. Because remember, he was going to... Uh, 
he was just going to make a people of Moses. And he had to get put Moses outside the camp because he said, I can't dwell with these people because I'll devour them and burn them up. And so there had to be a system whereby the people could approach unto him because we're human beings and we have physical flesh and blood bodies and we cannot approach unto a perfect and holy God without a set order. And this is why this is so important is because this is a picture of what goes on in the heavenly tabernacle. And these things were were written and implemented to teach us and to show us what the process is whereby someone can approach into a perfect and holy God. And there's an order to that. And, uh, and, it, and it alludes and speaks to um, Yeshua. So what we have to see in here is there are... Um, oh, and the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, this should be... This should be like an amazing, like celebratory, blissful culmination of, oh, wow, look at everything God has done type of scenario and situation. And instead you have this, this mingling of, of excitement, anticipation, glory and pageantry and amazingness, you know, kind of like when you, uh, um, they, you know, uh, like I just think of like the royal wedding whenever that last one, and they get married, and there's just crazy. It'd be like having a royal wedding in England and then somebody getting burnt up with fire in the midst of it. You know what I mean? That's the type of thing that's going on. And, but what I think it illustrates is the, uh, I'm at a lack of words to how even, even to put this, but the weight at which we need to carry in ourselves, even today, of, of how amazing, mighty, powerful, fearful the God is that we serve. And I think, especially in our culture, that's been lost. Especially in America, we, uh, everything has been so watered and dumbed down, and the sacred has been brought low and that which is honorable has been abased and that which should be esteemed is no longer esteemed you know so much so even in a little microcosm and this is part of i'm part of the problem when i was a kid you used to say mr perkins mr fernandes mrs so-and-so well my kids now it's my own fault this is my own shame they don't say mr hamill they say paul you know, and that should probably change. So my point is, yeah, my point is the, what should strike awe and fear in us anymore doesn't, and it has been brought low. And because of that, we're suffering consequences of that to where everything's relative and nothing has esteem and nothing's despised and nothing's shameful and nothing's low and nothing's terrible anymore. And so I think what this chapter tells us is that there, there is holy and there are things that are sanctified and there are things that uh, there are consequences for action. And so you have this tabernacle, which is the dwelling place of God where he comes and lives in the midst of us. And that is a, it should strike quaking fear in every person who even considers to draw near unto it. And I think Nadab and Abihu get wrapped into the excitement of it, and whether it was good intentions or bad intentions, they screw up the order of how they're supposed to approach unto God, and the natural ramifications of that is death. 
It's like, the only, as I read this and I thought about this, the only thing I can compare it to is, or, or, or how I can think about it, is if, and I'm jumping way ahead in my notes here, but you have these pictures or, um, or, or, or things on earth that draw you in because of the, the risk or the excitements, for instance, the guys that, that jump out of off cliffs in those squirrel suits and fly around, or, or torno, uh, storm chasers that try to get close to tornadoes, like, why the heck do you do that, right? You know, the, you're this close to death, right? But you're also this close to the most powerful and extreme and pure stream of intensity and reality that you can get, right? So that's why we want to be there, because that's where truth lies. And there's no, I want to swear, there's no BS. There's nothing that's in the middle. There's no pretense. It's raw and it's real and you can't hide. You either fly that squirrel swoop perfectly or you die. There's no in-between. And so we're drawn to that because, because that's where you really live. Everywhere else is just comfortable and weak. But if you really want to get close to the, to the pure energizing stream of God and you want to come to the tabernacle where he dwells, you better follow the steps and you better know what you're doing. Otherwise, you'll be vaporized. But that's where life really is. And so there's, there's consequences and it sh- for our actions. And it shows that there must be, there is in the world God has created a natural order of things and that there are some things that are more important. For instance, why, why, couldn't, Moses, or why couldn't Aaron mourn? Because he still had a job to do and he still dwelt in that bubble of energy which was all the power of the universe, God himself. So he still has to do his job. Just because his sons died, he cannot, it doesn't, it doesn't, there's no exception. There's no exception. If you're flying the squirrel suit and you get a text on your iWatch that your son just died, you can't stop flying the squirrel suit or you'll die. It's the same thing. It's the only way, I know it's a terrible example, but it's the only way I knew, could figure out how to conceptualize this. You know, and we have illustrations. Well, let me back up in my notes. I'm going to go way out of this office. So, this should be an amazing and blissful experience, but it's not. There's a lesson to remind us. There's no perfection on earth and in this life. There's only perseverance, hard work, discipline, and dedication. And we can't forget that we will toil in the sweat of our brow until we die. You know, even though we... So you got Moses and you've got Aaron, right? And Moses' Aaron's sons die. And even though there is this tabernacle on earth and God has provided a way that he can actually even dwell in the midst of a fallen world, we can't forget, and I think we often forget, you know, we want this to be, ah, pixie dust and rainbows and, and uh, the sun shining and glitters in the air and this is such a kumbaya experience and we can finally chill out and relax. No, again, keep in mind the squirrel suit or the tornado chaser. 
we still live in a fallen world, and God has given us a way that we can approach unto him, Yeshua, right? Keep all these things in your mind. But just because we're saved doesn't mean we're, we're whitewashed and then we can just, and then it's peaches and cream and a piece, piece of cake. No, you're still flying in the squirrel suit. You're still having to approach unto God. You're, you have to maintain order. You've got to work hard in your fields to be able to raise your crops, to be able to raise that lamb so you can bring it every year at Passover. It's hard work. And there is no rest until we die or until Yeshua returns. But in that process, though, in that hard work, and in that closeness that we get through that intensity of concentration and dedication and discipline in our lives is where meaning really is and where impact really is and where life really is, is on that edge. But I think so often we, we want to let up. We want to relax. We've worked really hard. We deserve a break. Come on, God, throw us a bone. There is no bone. There is no break. There's nothing until the end. But he's given us the strength. He's given us the ability. He's given us his spirit to be able to do it. So we're not left alone. But we have to, like Paul says, train our flesh and train our minds so that we can live in that zone of the, that knife edge of life and death. I don't know. I don't know if any of this is making sense, but I, I don't know. I just think it's so cool because it just kind of hit me when I was reading about this tabernacle. It's like standing next to a, a bonfire or something. You know, you, you can only get close to it a certain way. Otherwise, you burn up. You know, we forget that this God that we serve and what we are living, and it's because we're in the diaspora, right? We're, we're so separated by thousands of years, generations of wickedness, uh, a horrible environmental world, uh, a cultural world around us, and then our own lackadaisicalness, and our own self-delusion that we think we're something better than we are, that we forget that we serve the God who is everything and more than all the energy in the universe. And I think what draws us to him is that very fact and why we want to be there because that's where life is. And that's where meaning, we get meaning in our life. But we can't forget that there's, there's a process and there's a way to, to approach unto that. It's not easy peasy, God in my pocket, Christianity, do whatever the H-E double toothpicks you feel like and feel good about it along the way because, you know, you, you said I believe and now you're, you're good to go do whatever you want. No, God has given us his word. It is the manual to be able to approach that tabernacle, tabernacle to approach unto God. And um, if it's not fallen, you're walking the knife edge, or followed, you're walking the knife edge of death. So there's meaning in taking action to do as God says. We should shoulder our responsibility, take ownership of our part to the problem, and work to make it right. This... Uh, has eternal consequences. So there's con consequences for our actions, no matter what we do. Nadab and Abihu had consequences for their actions. Whether their intentions were well-motivated, well, God knows my heart. Well, I'm sure God knew their heart, and he burned them up anyway. You know? 
just because you're, you're intending to do something quote-unquote good or that you have framed as good or defined as good has no bearing on what God says. And there's still consequences for actions. You know? Anyway, so... So we need to serve... God, with all our heart, that's to say all our lives. We're treading on the edge of all the energy in the universe. We should, uh, so, you know, we should be scared to death of God in the right way. Like I was talking about earlier. You know, we should, we should have a healthy dose of fear in our own lives, which should produce humility in us, which should produce... Um, um, great, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, a, gracious, a graciousness between us and our brethren. You know, we should be humbled in our own heart and mind and life because of our awe before an all-powerful God such that we can extend grace and mercy to those around us because we're not better than anybody else. And let God deal with them, you know. And not get so high-minded and pompous and puffed up. All these things the Bible talks about, right? But, but I think we forget. And they forgot. You know, Nadab and Abihu didn't take it to heart. You know, we all forget. Even if the tabernacle was right over there, the, the human condition is the same. It, it doesn't matter. We tend to think, well, if I was back then, I wouldn't have done that. Well, lie, lies, you know. Chances are... Statistically, if you lived in Germany prior to World War II, you'd have been a Nazi sympathizer, no matter how good of a person you think you are. Until we recognize that the darkness of all darkness and the capabilities of all darkness is within inside us. You know, we're just lying to ourselves. And that's why we need to be cleansed and purified. And we need God's spirit within us to do something different than what our corrupt state is. And why that, that part of us that then is drawn to that energy of God and, and his tabernacle and his holy place where life really is and where meaning really is and reality really, really is, is such a knife edge of life and death. I love it. I don't know. Uh, this doesn't make any sense at all. So, we should be scared to death to serve our God. And that fear should create action in our lives to do what's right, to live rightly, to raise our children, to uh, treat our brethren with kindness and humility. So, um, the other, the other thing I was thinking about in, in relation to this, like, you know, the squirrel suit or the tornado or, like, people, I guess, people in the world that are kind of examples of, of Yeshua, Yeshua being the prime example. It's like, why did they want to be with Yeshua? Because he was God, God in the flesh on earth. You know, he was the purest form of the presence of God that you could get close to. You know, and there's little tinges of examples of that that I think we can all relate to. You know, you've got 
Joseph, he was the ruler of Egypt. All that power, all that might, the power of life and death, they're in his hands and his brothers are drawn to that and all the people are drawn to that. You got Moses, same thing. The, he is the representative of God. You got David, this mighty military leader where he's the ruler of all Israel. He has the military under him. He's got all the money, all the might, and all the power, and the people are drawn to him, and they love him because of that. And life and death is in that ability. And so we should have, um, even though, in another example, that in this, I... I, I can relate to this the closest, and maybe you can if you've ever done martial arts or you had a dad that you really respected or were in the military or something. It's like if you were in the military, you want to be, or my jujitsu instructor, you want to be, he's got something you don't have, right? And so you want to be close to that and you want to learn from that and you want to be friends with him. But there's also this latent, uh, uh, controlled, power that that individual has that that is life and death like with my jujitsu instructor it's like if he really wanted to i mean he'd kill me like that you know and so yeah you're friends yeah you want to hang out with that person but underlying is this dang like i'm afraid of him because i would never want to be on the bad side of that guy does that, has anybody ever related to that? And so it's the, sa- it's the same thing with God. And it's, at least for me, maybe I'm weird, but that draws me to those types of people. Because as much as there's that energy and that strength and that power and that uh, leadership that can be a force for, for death, it, it also is a source of safety, right? And protection. And something that draws you in where then you can walk in dark places and walk through life with a different perspective and a different attitude because I'm with that guy. Watch out. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. Is this making sense? I feel, I feel like this is just... Anyway, so uh, that's what our God is. You know? And... and, and and it, for me anyway, sometimes it feels hard to wrap my mind around that because, because we're in the exile and we deal with the ramifications and the sin of our forefathers in the exile and we can't forget that. And in fact, that has to motivate us to want to change and not continue the path of sin anymore, the path of things out of order, of Nadab and Abihu who think, yeah, this is awesome. I'm going into the holy place. And they bypass the blood and they get burnt up. You know, you can't go out of order in your approach before God. And so we, as those who are fulfilling prophecy and the remnant who are returning to God with our heart, soul, and strength and following Yeshua as our Savior, you know, we have to stay vigilant in the exile and not forget that we are, we're grounded. And so when you're grounded, you don't figure out ways to still do what you want, right? Because that makes life a whole lot worse for you. You buckle down, you serve your time, you show yourself responsible, you show yourself trustworthy so that then your heavenly father can 
redeem you out of that and put you back where you should be. That's our mission. And we can't waver from that. And it's going to be toil because from the sweat of your brow, you will produce bread until you die. And that's just reality. And we keep looking for Shangri-La, Nirvana, the Messianic Age, and we want Kumbaya here, and we want it all now, and it's never going to exist. But we can still draw nigh unto the source of all power and, 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 and be in that presence. And that's where each of us needs to be in our own lives, in our own hearts, with a real dose of fearfulness. Because you fly just a little bit wrong, and you're dead and vaporized, and fire bursts forth. So, for what it's worth. Anyway, let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this Torah portion. And I don't know if this made any sense, God, but it just really struck me, and I hope that um, you will just use your word as a mighty power that it is in the source of, of uh, truth in, in your people's lives and that you will teach and instruct and, um, and, and help us, I don't know, individually, God, just to be before you what we need to be. And if we each will, I believe that then you can use us collectively for your will to, to do great things for you. And uh, so I just pray that you just keep working on us, keep molding us. I thank you for your, your abundant mercy that you do have. Otherwise, we'd all be wiped out a long time ago. But you're so long-suffering, and I thank you for that, God. I just pray that you continue to have mercy on us, teach us, instruct us, help us to grow, help us to serve you and lead us in your paths of righteousness. I thank you for Shabbat and all these things. Amen. Hey, mighty warriors around.